following message is a presentation of Valley Metro Church, a community of believers dedicated to knowing God and making Him known. We've been talking about this theme of God's love and God's power. And the beauty about the living God, God has shared His love with us. The Bible says what a love that He has lavished upon us that we might be called sons of God. I mean, God has lavished love. He loved us so much, he sent his only son. So God pours out his love, but he also pours out his power. And that's a part that there's many folks a little disconnected with. The the principle of God pouring out love and having love available, God's love, is something that many recognize and, and aim at and say, yes, that's good. But when we talk about God's power, That's something that Christians at large, depending on your background and denomination, don't really know what to do with that one when we talk about the power of God. And so we've been talking about this uh, for a while, and today we're looking at a culmination of a passage where uh, the early church had an experience, and it was an experience that changed their life. They already saw the love of God profoundly, but they were about to get in on the power of God on a way that wrecked them in a good way. Has God ever wrecked you in a good way? Yeah, it's good when God wrecks you in a good way. He, he, he shifts things. He reshapes and reforms. Well, these guys were about to get wrecked in a good and a beautiful and a powerful way. But the reason that God shares his power to qualify the power of God in the lives of his people, it's really for his purposes. God is not looking to give out power for anybody else's purposes. It's not his nature. It's not his modality. It's not what we see in scripture. And it's not what we see in church history. Um, God gives his power for his purposes. So when the people of God start to line up with the will of God for the glory of God, watch out. That's when God wants to pour out his power. And we're going to be looking at this uh, passage here. We're going to see that the purpose that God was given out is power. The number one reason and purpose for God to pour out power is so that we could all represent him. Just representing Jesus where you are. It might be walking across the block. It might be walking across the cubicle. It might be walking on the job into the mail room to talk to the mail person. It might be calling up family. It might be going around the world. But representing Jesus as light and salt, that is where God will pour out his power. Historically, that's been the focus. There have been some who have gotten off course with the purpose for the power. Some have thought, well, the purpose for the power is I might get this cool little gift or manifestation, and I want the gift really bad, so I want the power. And and I think when we look at Scripture, you may see gifts and you may see these other beautiful manifestations, but the point is, he gives power to represent. He gives power so that you can walk out in the power of God and represent him, not in your own strength, but in God's strength. Paul writes, look, we have these treasures inside these jars of clay so that everyone's going to know that this all-surpassing power, it's from God and it's not from us. That's the modality of the kingdom of God. The people of God walking around as sons and daughters in the identity that God gives you, in the power of God, not your own power, and people go, what's up with that? I mean, people don't have a category for that. People don't have a category for that, and it's, it's beautiful. So the context today, we're looking at God's power being poured out, Specifically, the experience we're looking at, Acts chapter 2, is what's called the baptism of the Holy Spirit. And this was an experience that the early believers got in on. It changed their life forever. It changed their world. This is an experience 
I've had the privilege of getting in on this experience. Many of you have as well. I want you to think of this experience through the context of Scripture. The thing about experience, I want to qualify this. Some folks maybe want to live their life with experience. We want every experience that God has available. Amen? I mean, you guys with me on that? Do you want every experience that God has available for his people? Amen. If it's in the word, you better want that experience. You better desire that experience. Um, And these word-based experiences are in there for a reason. Uh, They're in the book for a reason. Uh, They're in there to show that Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. They're in there to show what God's heart and will with the early church was that seemingly got very disconnected for a long period in church history. But there's a beautiful renewal these days of people saying, you know what, religion and church government styles and kind of bureaucracies and denominations have gone all kinds of different ways. I want to get back to the real deal. I want to get back to the way it was in the beginning. The church of Acts, the people of God, it was simple, it was pure, and it was powerful. And God showed up and did things through people. There was people that had a simple, pure heart saying it's all about Jesus and I want to represent him. In this case, Jesus said, you will represent me and you will represent me beautiful, but don't go anywhere until you receive power because you cannot represent me until you receive my power. That's from the words of Jesus. I'm not making this stuff up. Jesus said, you can't represent me until you have my power to do it. And so this experience, the baptism of the Holy Spirit, I want to qualify uh, first a great statement from a theologian named Schofield. This is what he says. The New Testament distinguishes between having the Holy Spirit, which is true of all believers, and being filled with the Holy Spirit, which is the believer's privilege and opportunity. Let me say that again. The New Testament distinguishes between having the Holy Spirit, which is true of all believers, and being filled with the Holy Spirit, which is the believer's privilege and opportunity. That guy who said that is not a charismatic. That guy who said that is not a Pentecostal. That guy who said that was before even Pentecostal denominations came about. That's a guy looking at the word and says it's a reality and people need to get in on it. I would agree with that. I think a proper way to look at our understanding of the Holy Spirit is that when you accept Jesus as your Lord, you are sealed with the Holy Spirit for your day It's a deposit of the Holy Spirit for your day of redemption. So every believer is sealed. There's a difference between being sealed for salvation and being empowered for service. You see, the apostles were all in that upper room. They believed in the resurrected Jesus more than anybody. They saw him. They believed. They already worshiped the resurrected Jesus. They got it. They believe he died on the cross and rose from the dead. They believed in their heart and confessed with their lips. Jesus is Lord, the free gift of grace through faith. They got it. They got it. They're sealed for salvation. But Jesus is like, don't go anywhere until you receive the power. Because now it's going to be about service. And you're going to represent me in a whole new dimension, but you're going to need my power. So they waited for this power. So this experience is typically separate and distinct from the day of salvation. And disciples knew that they were going to wait, and they waited. They were in constant prayer and in unity. And we looked at the last couple of weeks, the prerequisites for power. If this is a topic that interests you, and I hope it does, it should, If you want to know about God's power in your life and what are the things that are the qualifiers, what qualifies you and I to even get in on something about God's power? We don't deserve it, but he's willing to give it out. And if he is, why does he give it out? For what reason? For what purpose? And what kind of heart condition do we need to have? That's a very valid question. We looked at the prerequisites for God's power, and one of them was prayer and unity. A house divided does not stand. 
But when we stand united with the purposes of Jesus being a priority, with all kinds of our diversities and, and the different mixes that God puts together, he shows up in a powerful way. And if you want to follow along, please do. We're in Acts chapter 2, verse 1. And this is the day that the church really was born. This is the day, the birthday of the church. It's the day the church received power. And it's the day that changed everything for history. Nothing was ever the same again after this day. And this experience, unfortunately, guys, I think it's one of the most profound and important experiences in the entire New Testament for believers. Yet it's probably the most misunderstood experience in the whole Bible. This is probably the most misunderstood experience in the whole Bible. Because some took this experience and ran this way with it, and others turned around and tried to just discount this experience. Some were saying, if you don't have this experience, you're not even saved. And others are saying, I don't know about you, but that experience is from the devil. Do you know that this is what the church said 100 years ago, trying to deal with this experience? This has been the most misunderstood experience, I believe, in the New Testament. So let's break it down. Let's look at it and see how it applies to our lives. Acts chapter 2, verse 1, when the day of Pentecost came, They were all together in one place. Suddenly, a sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. Now, they were staying in Jerusalem God-fearing Jews from every nation under heaven. And when they heard this sound, a crowd came together in bewilderment because each one heard them speaking his own language. Utterly amazed, they asked, are not all these men who are speaking Galileans? Then how is it that each of us hears them in his own native language? Parthians, Medes, Elamites, residents of Mesopotamia, Judea, Cappadocia, Pontus, and Asia, Phrygia, uh, Pamphylia, Egypt, and the parts of Libya near Cyrene, visitors from Rome, both Jews and converts to Judaism, Cretans and Arabs, we hear them declaring the wonders of God in our own tongues. Amazed and perplexed, they asked one another, what does this mean? Some, however, made fun of them and said, they've had too much wine. Then Peter stood up with the 11. He raised his voice and he addressed the crowd. I don't want to unpack this because here is the experience that unfortunately gets the wrong interpretation or is misinterpreted or sometimes just flat out ignored in the church. Um, In this case, there was Jews from everywhere in Jerusalem. The reason is, here's the thing. This is the day of Pentecost. The Jews celebrated Pentecost. What penta means, it's 50, Pentecost. It's the day that comes 50 days after. Now check this out. This is cool. When the Israelites were in bondage and in Egypt, remember? And it was finally the day of their deliverance, the day they're finally going to be set free. On that day, God said, make bread without yeast. Don't even let the yeast rise. There's no time because tomorrow you're out of here. So they all made bread, unleavened bread. And on that day, they had the Passover lamb and and they put the sign on their doorpost and they were delivered. The next day, they're all out of Egypt. 50 days later from that, out in the desert, God showed up and gave them the law. It was the covenant of God established with his people 50 days after the unleavened bread, the Passover beginning. Beautiful. Check this out. Jesus died 
on that Passover weekend at the same time. Jesus did. 50 days later, just like Moses established a new covenant, 50 days later, the church is filled with the Spirit. God was very intentional on the timing of this. I think it's a beautiful analogy when you look at Old Testament things being a snapshot of the things that's to come. There's Jews from everywhere. They hear a couple of things. The, the sound, like the blowing of a violent wind, and they saw, so you hear something, and they see what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on, on each of them. Let's look at this wind and the fire here, because I think it's important symbolism, the fire. The fire has always been a symbol of God's presence. It's always been. The Bible says that our God is a consuming Come on, our God is a consuming? Our God's a consuming fire. God appeared to Moses in the form of a bush that was on on fire. Uh, God led his people through the desert, uh, protected by a cloud by day and at night by, by fire. And the Israelites knew that when they had the temple, the fire always burned in the temple, representing the presence of God. It never goes out. God is with us. I will make my dwelling among you. I'll never leave or forsake you. The presence of God representative in the fire. So it's interesting that when this wind from heaven, violent wind from heaven, and this fire show up, that the fire represented of the very presence of God that the Israelites, the Jewish people, knew very well. Uh, the fire separated. It's from one source. It seems from heaven. It's the Spirit of God separating and beginning to rest on each of them. And so... I love how this, this looks right here. And then the wind, the wind. The very word wind is pneuma. The Holy Spirit is the holy pneuma, the holy breath, wind of God. <sighs> Remember in Genesis, God made man and he <sighs> breathed life into his nostrils. God is the, the Hebrew word is ruach, and in the, the, the Greek word is the pneuma, the holy wind of God. God himself, in the form of spirit, life-giving breath, coming down, and it's violent, and it's straight from heaven, it says. And so everyone is hearing, and fire's coming down. And the people in the town are like, check that out. All these people in the town, they hear it, they see it, they're blown away with it. They start to walk towards it. And so the wind and the fire, and if you know anything about wind and fire, you can ask a a fireman if you have any friends of yours that, that fight fires. They'll tell you there's all kinds of fires that can be contained. The number one thing about a fire before you stop a fire is you got to contain it. And any kind of fire, many fires can be contained and put out, but people will tell you if there's wind and fire, that's an unstoppable combination. It's like a blowtorch. That's why welders use blowtorches. You get wind and fire at the same time. Wow, you can do some serious damage. Well, God wanted to turn this world upside down through a group of people with wind and fire. And I think it's kind of what he wants to do today. And the devil knows that wind and fire is an unstoppable combination. And the devil knows that if you can contain it somehow, he's going to do good. And there was early persecution in the church. Maybe we can stomp this out like a forest fire before it spreads too far. But I tell you what, if wind and fire take over, man, there's no stopping this thing. And so wind and fire, I love what happens here. It says that When this happened, the believers, they get baptized, they get filled with the Holy Spirit. It says they begin to speak in other tongues or other languages. And this doesn't necessarily mean they were speaking in Spanish or French or some other known language. It means they were speaking in an unknown language. Now, here is is what's interesting about this. I want us to look at uh, the word. The word tongues is glossalia. It's where we get our word glossary from. 
You look in the back of the book, you look up the glossary, you'll find out the words. They were speaking in an unknown glossary. It's an unknown, it's an unlearned glossary. Um, it's a language from heaven when you look at the rest of uh, the Bible and it talks about this gift of tongues and I'm not going to elaborate too much on it today but I do want to say this. Let's look at what they were saying and who they were saying it to because some people think that maybe they were speaking in Spanish and they're saying, Jose, ¿qué pasó? ¿Qué está haciendo? <laughs> That's not what they were doing. They're saying, gracias a Dios en el nombre de Cristo, santo, santo, santo. They're talking this way. They're talking this way. They're not talking this way. You got to understand this spiritual language, this unlearned glossary, glossalia from God with the wind and the fire. It wasn't going this way. It was going this way. And the people said that they heard them speaking praises to God. No one said, hey, they're talking to me. I hear them preaching at me. That's not what they said. They are yelling out praises to God. And the miracle, I believe, is each one goes, why is it that I hear them in my language? And the guy next to you, you know what he says? I hear him in my language. And the next guy goes, that's funny. I have a different language and I'm hearing the same thing. Do you see what's going on here? It's a day when you got a mixed people. You got people from Arabia. You got people from the Roman Empire. You got people from all over the place, all in one place, one time, Spirit of God shows up and everyone's like, I don't know about you, bud, but I'm hearing my language. And that is cool. Everyone's baffled. Uh, it says the reactions, if you read the text in the NIV, it says they were bewildered, amazed, and perplexed. I love that. Bewildered. Some are like, that's wild. I'm bewildered. I'm confused. I don't even know what that means. Others were amazed going, whoa, check that out. That's amazing. And others were perplexed going, I, I, I'm conf- I don't even know what to do with it. I don't know whether I should be bewildered or amazed. I'm just perplexed. It's amazing that these people are in the same place, the same time, the same thing going on, and you got all these different interpretations or feelings in response to this. Some translations say that they were confounded. Some were confounded like, I am confused. And others say they marveled, or they're going, well, that is cool. That's marvelous. It's amazing you can have a group of people in the same place, in the same time, and have a completely different reaction to what the Spirit of God is doing. Isn't that amazing? I mean, we would think that if the Spirit of God is moving, that everybody would get it and everybody would see it. Wouldn't that be natural? But that's not what's happening here. There's a full-on, bona fide miracle happening in front of thousands of people, and they got all different reactions. It's amazing to me. Some are going, what does it mean? And while some are going, what does it mean? Like, there must be a meaning here, and I want to know. I want to get in. God, if you're doing something, show me. I want to get in. That's beautiful. Others are going, ah, they're just drunk. Wait, the Spirit of God's moving powerfully and there's about to be 3,000 people that turn their lives to Jesus that day because of this miracle going on and other people are scoffing, going, ah, they're just drunk. Isn't it amazing that there can be two different reactions to the same miracle at the same time? Um, Some see God in it and others just make fun out of what they don't understand. And the baffling part to me is that not everybody recognizes a move of the Holy Spirit. Not everybody recognizes it. And that's unfortunate when people don't recognize it, but it happened then, it'll happen today. But after being prayed up and after being filled up, here's the punchline. You want to look at the purpose of this? After being prayed up and after being filled up, Peter stood up and spoke up. Peter got up and gave the sermon of the century. 
These people, they don't know about Messiah. They're not believing. They're not following Messiah. They're all Jews that came to worship at the temple. And, and Peter presented something with the fire of God in his life. Not just, hey, guys, can I reason with you a little bit? He got up there in the power and the fire of God with a holy boldness that he never had in his life. Peter was changed. I want to remind you that this guy, Peter, he's the same man. He's the same man that just 40 days earlier was being asked, hey, don't you know Jesus? No, I don't know. No, I think you know him. I thought I saw it. I'm telling you I don't know the guy. I've never seen him before. No, wait a minute. You talk just like him. You're one of those. And, and if you look at the Greek contest, he's virtually cursing about it. I swear I don't know him. Leave me alone. This is Peter, same guy, scared to death to be associated with Jesus. That's what a life is like without the baptism of the Holy Spirit. A legitimate fear, a legitimate concern, wondering what's going to happen to me. But that same person, once they've had this experience with being filled and baptized with the Holy Spirit, he rises up with a fire on the inside that is treasures in jars of clay to show that this all-surpassing power is from God and not from us. It's beautiful. It's God on the inside coming out of people. This, guys, is the misunderstood experience of the baptism of the Holy Spirit. It's misunderstood. And there's some folks that think that they can get by with a learning a little bit about God or respecting Him and honoring Him, but missing out on the full dimension of the calling missing out on the full dimension of identity, missing out on the full dimension of power. And I would suggest to you, this is where the kingdom of God is. This is where you get all in and see God do great things. It's not much later in the text, if you want to read later on in Acts, that they get dragged before the Jewish leaders and they're looking at Peter and John and going, how is it that these guys are doing powerful things? God's doing explosive things. They're not even educated. They didn't even go to the schools we went through. They're just common fishermen from up north. How could this be? And the only thing they can say is, the only thing we know is these guys spent time with Jesus. They spent some time with Jesus, and look what's happening to them now. I would say the same is true with us guys. When we start our journey of faith, and I don't know about you guys, but when you, when you first fall in love with Jesus, and I want to call it that because Jesus is someone you fall in love with. You don't just learn about Jesus. You don't just crack the code and go, okay, he's not just philosopher, religious educator. He's not just Messiah. He's in fact God's son and he loves me very personally. And you start to realize the love he has for you and the amount of grace and forgiveness and mercy and power. And you start to fall in love with him. Amen? And you look in the book of Acts at people leaning on him or crying at his feet and realize, I love him. He loves me. I love him. But what happens over time, and Jesus warned the church of this, is that somehow we get, we, we get into a trend, we get into a pattern, we, we go to church and we, we do the things that we do, but we get into a trend where we, we're no longer in love with our first love anymore. And it, and it happens, it happens, it can happen to all of us, it happens all the time. And Jesus was telling that church, look, I like your deeds, I like the things you do, you guys, you got some good things going on, but you know what? You gotta get back to that first love. Would you just come back and spend some time at my feet? Would you say, if you got something to cry out, my feet is, is a safe place for it. If you got something you need, my feet is a great place for it. There's some beautiful things that happen at the feet of Jesus. And I would just tell you that, that these people that spent time in that upper room, they weren't afraid to spend time at the feet of Jesus. These people said, Lord, we got things, there's other problems, there's other needs, but number one is you and what do you want? 
These were the ones, their heart was in the right. They understood the prerequisites for power. They understood who their first love was. And God poured out power. The entire world around them changed. This guy like Peter, who is scared to death, is standing up in a holy boldness. The Bible says 3,000 were added to their number that day. I don't know if that's explosive to you. That's explosive to me. And that's not because anybody put together some cool sermon or had some motivational speaking. No, no. Lives don't change that way. That's the Spirit of God working through God's people and people changing on the inside. That's light switches flipping on. Boom, 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 boom. On the inside when you talk to people. Or you walk up to someone in a store and you pray for them. There's a light switch flipping on on the inside. Know what they're saying? The kingdom of God came to me today. I can't ignore it. When you walk across the cubicle or across the street to your neighbor, when you, when you do these things, when you talk to the person at the grocery, whatever it is, the kingdom of God, the light's turning on. Do you see what's happening here? That's what it's about. And to do this in the power of the Holy Spirit has more purpose and design and fulfillment in your life than anything you can imagine. It's absolutely beautiful. Um, the baptism uh, is a time where people get on fire for God. We hear the term being on fire, on fire. This is where it comes from. Spirit of God coming down on people where they're changed from the inside out and the power of God is flowing out of their life. Not because they're better than anybody, not because they studied more than anybody, not because they're from a different background, but they simply said, here am I, send me God. Here I am. Send anybody, Lord, but if no one's going, I'll go. How about that? It doesn't have to be me, but if I'll go. If they're not gonna go, I'll go. And God's like... Bravo, the eyes of the Lord go to and fro throughout the whole earth looking for hearts that are completely his so he can strongly support them. And this is the kind of support you need. It's the kind of support I need. The power of the living God in your life and in mine. That's the support we need. It isn't by strength or might, it's by the power of my spirit, says the Lord. If we think we're gonna step out and do anything or God's gonna use us in any way, it's gonna amount to nothing without the power of his spirit in our life. The Bible says in the end times, (laughs) In the end times, I will pour out my spirit like no other time. And my sons and daughters are going to prophesy. They're going to be able to be stirred up with a zeal for my heart and my kingdom in a way that prophesy is to to profess on behalf of God. It's speaking on behalf of the living God. Some prophecy is right out of scripture. Sometimes it's sharing a word with somebody right from the throne of God the word of God. And sometimes it can be futuristic or as the spirit leads, it'll always line up with scripture. But the reality is prophecy being a reality of God speaking through his people in the power of the Holy Spirit. And in the end times, God says, I'm gonna pour out my spirit. And when I do, sons and daughters, my sons and daughters, not just boys and girls. (laughs) He's not saying boys and girls out there. No, my sons and daughters, they're gonna prophesy. They're They're gonna start representing me on unprecedented ways. You see, one thing that's been missing from the radar of the church too uh, for, for many years, unfortunately, for 1,400 years, is the priesthood of all believers. The first few hundred years of the church understood this. Everyone in the room after this is getting up and going public and being used by God. But it got reeled in, it got contained, it got structured with church leadership in a way that things were refined and reeled in. Even to the point where the Bible wasn't even in print for the common people because they thought, yeah, we don't want you to misappropriate that. So they reeled it in and said, if you want to know what it says, come to us. That that was the worst mistake in the history of the church, to take the word of God away from the people of God. Because the word of God's your roadmap, and the spirit of God's your compass. And when the people of God have their roadmap and their compass, 
They're empowered for every good work. There's a priesthood, a beautiful priesthood for the people of God. And, and the reality is in the end times, we're going to see God pouring out his spirit more and more. And we're going to see people stepping up in their role as a priest. I don't know if you know it, but you are a priest. And I don't know if you've ever said it, but you are a priest. If you believe in the resurrected Jesus this morning, you are called to be a priest. Not to get up and do a Sunday mass and bless people or sprinkle them or give out, you know, or hear confessions necessarily. But you're called to be a priest. And I don't know if you know it, but I'd love for you to say that this morning. Could you repeat that with me? Say, I am a priest of God. Now say it like you mean it this time. You are a priest of God. You were called to be a a royal nation, a holy priesthood, a holy priesthood, the people of God. That's your identity. Now, we're not going to look like the priests that we see walking around with collars. Jesus didn't invent that, okay? So the priesthood is manifest in all kinds of beautiful ways, all kinds of beautiful diversities. You're not supposed to look like a priest. We're supposed to be a priest. And I think when you realize that's part of your identity and that's part of your calling, you go, you know what? I didn't know that. I thought I could just kind of chill over here (laughs) and kick back and kind of do my own little thing. But if I'm called to be a priest... If I got to pray up and suit up and, you know, if God wants to use me in this capacity, well, then I really do need his power. I didn't know I was a priest. But if I'm a priest, I need his power. And all priests need his power. And I want to finish this briefly. In fact, this would be a good time for the, for the worship team to come up. I want to say that the evidence of the Holy Spirit, uh, in this case, there was a spiritual language going on. There's other times in the book of Acts where you don't see that language going on. Sometimes there was, sometimes there wasn't. You can't say the evidence is the language. Some have made that argument, and it's a, unfortunately, that's short-sighted. Uh, there may be a, a language, there may not be a language. That's, uh, Paul says later on, he says, do all, do all speak in tongues? In other words, no. Do all have this? Do all have that? It's a rhetorical question. No, of course not. No, of course not. So God gives gifts to whom he wants, the way he wants, in his diversities. We'll let God be God on that. But the reality is the evidence that we do know from Scripture, the evidence of the baptism of the Holy Spirit that we do know and we can quantify and can qualify is the evidence of a new level of worship, a new level of worship. These guys were filled with the Spirit and praises started flowing out of their mouth to God. They couldn't help it. When you get filled with the Spirit, you can't help but praise God. And so you might think about your own praise life that way. If you feel filled with the Spirit of God where you want to give Him praise and glory, that is an evidence of being filled with the Holy Spirit. If that's foreign to you, you may not have experienced the baptism of the Holy Spirit. The other evidence is the evidence of a whole new level of courage, a level of courage that never existed before. It's a holy boldness that you can't make up, you can't psych yourself out. Only God can give you a fire on the inside like that. It's evident in Peter's life. I'm not going to read the other passages, but in Acts 4.29, same group of believers, same group that were filled with the Holy Spirit. Acts 4.29, you can read it later on. But these guys, they were prayed. After they got together, they prayed, and the place they were meeting, it was shaken, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit, and listen, and spoke the word boldly. They got filled again, and they spoke out with another boldness, because maybe they were losing their boldness. I've caught myself losing. Have you ever caught yourself losing your boldness? Have you caught yourself losing your fire? More honesty in the house of God this morning. Amen. That's the point. Acts chapter 4, God, we're losing some fire. 
We want to be poured out for you. Would you fill us with fire again? Would you fill us with a boldness? And God filled them with a boldness again. Same group of people who were filled with the Spirit. God filled with the Spirit again. I love it. It goes on in Acts chapter 9, verse 17. And in and, and this case, it wasn't just the Spirit filling the room. Uh, Saul, who was persecuting the church, Jesus knocks him off his horse, so to speak, and makes him blind. And Saul is like, oh no, I blew it. Jesus, you're the Messiah. I believe it now. I was so wrong. Please forgive me. Saul is shaken in his boots, becoming the Apostle Paul, going, I was wrong. You're the Messiah. I messed up so bad. And Jesus says, I'm going to send somebody to you. And he sends Ananias to Saul. And he tells him this in, in Acts chapter 9. Then Ananias went to the house and entered it, placing his hands, placing his hands on Saul. He said, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus who appeared to you on the road as you were coming here has sent me to you that you may see again and be filled with the Holy Spirit. In other words, Saul, I know you believe. Of course you do. You wouldn't be here right now. You're scared to death because Jesus woke you up and it was a scary wake-up call. But you're going to have to step out in a level of boldness now that's beyond anything you ever knew and you're about to be filled with the Spirit of God. And he lays hands on Saul, and Saul gets filled with the Spirit. And he goes on and writes a third of the New Testament. The same guy who is shaking in his boots here goes on in a holy boldness. It's radical. You can't make this stuff up, guys. It's, it's, from, it's from God. And so we see this. The last one I want to share is Acts chapter 19. There's a bunch of believers. Paul runs into them. They're from Ephesus. It says they're disciples. They're already disciples. They believe in the resurrected Jesus. And Paul says this to him. He said, hey, can I ask you, um, you guys been filled with the Spirit? They're like, uh, no. <laughs> we didn't even really know about that. <laughs> we haven't heard about it. Really? Believers in Jesus, you haven't heard about? It? No, we haven't. Paul's like, wow, what are they preaching out there in Ephesus? <laughs> I don't know what they're preaching out there. I'm glad they told you about Jesus, but where, where's your power? We, we didn't know about it. Paul's like, come here, I want to pray for you guys. And it says that in Acts chapter 19, that Paul laid hands on them and they were all filled with the Spirit. And so there's a reality about seeking God and being filled with the Spirit. And uh, our prayer team is going to come up this morning. It is a baptism for service, guys. I want to qualify that. Maybe you're not at a place where you're ready to serve, but I want to tell you, you're never ready to serve. No one's ready to serve. It's when you step out in faith to serve, where God meets you where the road rises up to meet you, literally where the Spirit of God says, I got you covered on the next step. I got you covered on the next step. And you're going to grow exponentially in the kingdom of God. You will grow more in your service to God than 10,000 sermons will ever grow you in the kingdom of God. You realize that? In your service to God, walking out in faith to represent Him, trying to follow His word with the leading of the Holy Spirit, you're going to go further in your growth in the kingdom of God than than 20,000 sermons can take you. Because these are all from the outside in. But when you step out in service, God starts doing things from the inside out. And you grow in a maturity and a confidence and a faith. And you grow in a, a desire to say, God, I got to trust. I got to hear from you. I can't, I can't help anybody, God, unless you show up. And God's like, that's a beautiful place to be. And since you're getting more and more dependent on me, watch what I'm going to do. God loves when we're dependent on him. Like that song, I need you more. I do. I say that song all the time. I'm singing it around now. I'm singing it all to God. I need you more. I need you more now than ever before, God. Why? Because I can't do what he has before me without the power of his spirit. Without his, I can't do it. I can't get anything done. Not that matters. 
And it, that ought to be our disposition. And, and so if that's your case, if that's the case like the song, I surrender all, if that's the case where you'd say, you know, I do surrender all, not just this and this. No, God, if you want to use me, if you want to flow through me, if you want to speak through me, if you want me to wash feet for your glory, if you want me to do it, here am I, send me. If that's your disposition this morning, we're going to close in prayer. I want to encourage you to come up and receive prayer. We're going to bow our heads right now and just invite the Lord into this part of our service. And uh, mighty God, I thank you for your word. I thank you for the power of it. This has been a presentation of Valley Metro Church. To hear more messages or to support future podcasts, please visit valleymetrochurch.com.